Paul, who is the author of most of the letters in the New Testament, described his religious devotion in the following ways. In front of an angry crowd at the temple in Jerusalem, Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. From Acts 22, verses 3 through 5. In a letter to the church in Galatia, he wrote, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. From Galatians 1, 13 through 14. To the church in Philippi, he wrote, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Philippians 3, 4 through 14. Last week, we looked at how a fisherman had an encounter that changed his life. And tonight, we're looking at someone who was deeply religious having an encounter that changed everything for him. We've just come out of a series we did called Love Everyone Life by Life. And if you've been trying to do that, caring for your neighbors, listening to your friends, engaging with your coworkers, serving the people that have been in your life and even sharing your story, you've discovered that that's actually really difficult. Loving everyone life by life is actually hard and we actually need God's help. And so that's why we're doing this three-part series in which we want to come up close to God so that we might experience his love and through our lives be able to love even those around us who might be hard to love. And Saul, in the story we're looking at tonight, was a deeply religious person. Now, depending on where you grew up, that might be perceived by you as a good thing or might be perceived by you as a bad thing. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you grew up in Texas? All right, all right. How many of you grew up in the South, but not Texas? Excellent, you're still welcome here. All right, what about the Midwest? Anyone grow up in the Midwest? Feels like the Midwest out there today. How about the West Coast, East Coast? All right, anyone from out of the country, born, raised overseas? Excellent. So you will know, depending on where you grew up, this idea of being a very religious person can be perceived one way versus another. So for some of you, if you grew up in the South, this idea of being a deeply religious person, perhaps you see that as a good thing. Actually, you think of deeply religious people as those who are good citizens and they're good people. Others of you, maybe you grew up on the East Coast or West Coast or, or, or perhaps in Europe, and the idea of a deeply religious person actually doesn't make you feel as excited. You see them as more narrow-minded. And then all of us have probably run across stories of people who've taken their extreme views of religion to a horrible and even violent place. We've had examples over the last few weeks 
of people whose anger bubbled over into violence. Somebody who took out his anger and violence on two African Americans. In fact, he tried to knock down the door of their, a church nearby, but instead shot and killed two people in a grocery store. Or the man who charged into a synagogue, targeting people because of their Jewish faith. This happens all too often. And it's against God's heart. The very opposite of the message of the scriptures. See, angry people become violent And ultimately, the evil response that they have can be rooted in a a type of fear. See, people who perpetrate violence and hatred and evil are against the very heart of God. They're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit of God. They're not representing Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, Saul was very angry, very afraid, because of all the changes that were happening around him. He had been trained up by a particular sect of Judaism called Pharisees. And some of these Pharisees were so afraid of losing power to Jesus that they colluded with the Roman rulers in order to kill him. These Roman rulers were also desperate to hold on to their power, to maintain their ability to control the people, to oppress the people. Now, Jesus, as he taught and would travel, he referred to himself as the son of man, which is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter seven, the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. See, some had seen this Messiah as coming and overthrowing the the politicians, but in reality, he came with a very different mission, something better than that. Jesus actually came to begin a new kingdom, a transnational kingdom, That includes people from every walk of life, every tribe, every people group. And actually, his mission was to bring life and freedom for those who were being oppressed politically and facing religious oppression. In fact, what's interesting is any environment you see where the church is being persecuted, it's often because being led by a totalitarian or a dictator, they know that if people actually follow the words of Jesus, it's actually subversive. Because followers of Jesus are always looking out for the oppressed. And their allegiance is to God more than to the government. And so we see persecution of the church because these dictators don't want to lose their power. Now, I have to just pause in the midst of our current political climate where you are being told you have to choose one side or the other and that the side you choose has all the answers. You can find yourself really discouraged in a week like this. But I want to encourage you that in light of all the anger, it's important for us to be fully engaged in the process to vote, to stand up for the oppressed, even to serve in civil service. But as followers of God, our allegiance is first and foremost to him rather than to a political party. And how we engage in the process matters. But here's the thing I hope that you hear more than anything, is that you and I can be the change we wanna see in the world around us, whether or not our political leaders offer solutions that help. 
that you and I can actually be the ones who demonstrate how to love people with whom we might disagree or differ or even don't understand. But see, that's not where Saul was. Saul had mentors who teamed with Roman rulers who killed Jesus. But what they didn't understand is that did not disrupt his message. In killing him, they actually went along unknowingly with God's plan all along. See, Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for all of humanity, dying, facing all the wickedness and evil that humanity has wrought on each other and from within. But he rose from the dead. And so for Saul, this was threatening because now his mentors had tried to end the movement by killing the leader of this movement, but now they're claiming he's alive. And they continued on his work. They actually were helping those who were oppressed. You see, they were bringing life and freedom for women and the disabled and children and the sick and sinners and the outcast. They were disrupting the status quo. See, followers of Jesus care for the oppressed because Jesus came offering life and freedom for the oppressed. But since Saul had seen his mentors use violence to stop Jesus, he implemented violence to stop those who followed Jesus. For Saul, who was so zealous for his faith, he began to persecute and even kill people who disagreed with him. Tara read these passages, but, but let's continue with the rest of the story. Acts 22. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today, and so I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Or Galatians 1, for you've heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Or in Philippians 3, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. See, tragically, Saul bought into an extreme version of his childhood faith. No one to this day considers himself a Pharisee, but Phariseeism exists in every religious context. See, religious zeal can lead to violence when you believe that you are right and others are wrong and you believe that they are a threat to you. Now, have you ever heard this idea? It sounds so nice. It's a a platitude. Have you ever heard this idea? Maybe you've even said this. You know, as long as you believe in something, it's important that you're sincere. Believe in something just as long as you're sincere. Have you ever heard that? Well, that might sound good, but what if... You're like Saul, and you have sincerity, and you're violent. Suddenly, it doesn't seem like a good idea, does it? Sincerity and belligerence, sincerity and hatred isn't what we're going for. See, Saul was sincere, and these followers of Jesus were a threat to everything he believed. And so as his predecessors killed Jesus, because they were afraid of the status quo being turned upside down, It was a man-made status quo. They weren't actually followers of the true faith in the Hebrew scriptures. They were more concerned with their power and their politics. 
You see, before Jesus, women were treated like property. Before Jesus, half of the known world was enslaved. Before Jesus, children were treated like a nuisance. Before Jesus, the disabled were ignored. Before Jesus, the ones the religious considered immoral were considered unworthy. And before Jesus, the Samaritans and the Gentiles and anyone from a different ethnic background were considered unclean and outsiders. See, Jesus had been healing and teaching and welcoming people who were not allowed in the synagogues. These people had been invading the temple, even as they met there day after day. These followers of Jesus included women, slaves, and Gentiles as equals in their community. In this offshoot, this angry sect, the Pharisees, were threatened. You can just imagine the frustration building in Saul that turned to anger, which turned to violence. But underneath it all was fear. He was afraid of losing power, losing all that they had built. And maybe you're here and you think you've given God all you had and you've become angry. Angry about the changing world, angry about the people who are angry. But when we do that, we're operating out of fear rather than faith. And too many people who claim to have faith are actually operating out of fear. Or maybe you're here and you felt like you've given God all you had, but but angry and hypocritical and judgmental Christians have kept you from connecting with God or to a local community of faith. Maybe you've been confused and even put off by this angry version of Christianity you didn't know even existed. Maybe you've even had Sunday school teachers from your childhood who for some reason on Facebook have become really angry. That can be disconcerting. This has kept you from fully pursuing faith. Or maybe this is your story. You had a a childhood faith and perfect attendance to church services growing up, but right around high school or in your 20s, you wandered away. It could be the distractions of this world, the temptations of this world lured you away from faith. Or maybe you were hurt. Maybe there's prayers that went unanswered. Someone you loved who died a relationship that ended, a dream that fell apart. Maybe you felt like you gave God all you had, yet things were not going your way. Maybe you felt something like this.
Perhaps Saul had felt like he'd given God his all and God was not answering his prayers. Things were continuing even though he tried to stop it. And in the midst of his anger and his boiling rage, his story takes a dramatic turn. He has a miraculous encounter that changes everything as he was on the road. The story picks up in Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now several things from this passage stand out. First and foremost, Jesus appeared to Saul in a vision. He heard Jesus' voice. You see, the same one who his mentors, along with the Roman rulers, had crucified was now appearing to him. It was a very personal encounter. The others didn't hear. All they could tell was thunder, and now Saul was, was blind. But then he heard from Jesus that you're not opposing the people of God. You're opposing God himself. Now, you hear stories like that, and you might be skeptical, thinking, you know what, this has never happened to me, or that could never happen. Or maybe you're a little bit more open-minded, and you think, you know what, I would believe if something like that did happen to me. Let me just say that if you find yourself feeling a bit skeptical, remember, although that may not have happened to you, that does not mean it cannot happen. I know many people who have had visions and dreams of Jesus they could not explain, There's something else to consider. Maybe it has happened to you, but you dismissed it. Andrew Clavin, a novelist and Hollywood screenwriter, published his memoir called The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. And in it, he writes, God is is not susceptible to proofs and disproofs. If you believe, the evidence is all around you. If you don't believe, no evidence can be enough. See, when something strange has happened to you, do you dismiss it away? Do you even consider it? It may be God trying to get your attention. Now, God does not just use visions or dreams, although he does so more than you might think, but God might allow painful things to happen in our lives that might turn us to him. He also sends messengers to help us find him. This summer, I was reading Job, great summer reading. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Job, everything goes wrong, except for his wife, is still around. And for some people, they say, well, actually, that was 
part of the tragedy for Job. He loses everyone, but he kept his wife. But all that to say, when you read the story, you see that in the midst of this tragedy, some of his friends come and they try to comfort him, but it is no comfort at all. They say, Job, you don't understand. You must have done something bad, and that's why bad things are happening. See, that's a very religious way of looking at life. Maybe you've fallen into that trap, thinking, you know what? If I do these good things, then God will bless me. God will do these good things for me. And if I avoid these bad things, then bad things won't happen to me. But we actually need a faith that's bigger than our circumstances. Actually, the story of Job shows us that God was with Job in the midst of his suffering. That we live in a broken and messed up world and there will be bad things that happen to us that have nothing to do with the consequences of our choices. In fact, Job summarizes his experience by saying to God in Job chapter 42, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. In our context, I think we can restate Job by saying, I believed in you with my head, but now I've experienced you with my heart. See, if you grew up in the same context I did, growing up in Dallas, a very religious context, I knew all the facts about Christmas and Easter. I could even probably win a Bible trivia contest. But there was a moment in my life where it had to go from here to here, from my head to my heart. I wonder if you've had an encounter with God. Have you had a brush with his greatness? Because when you do, it leads you to a place of confession. Like for Job, repentance, it's this idea of turning towards God because our backs, our default is to have our backs to God. But when we confess that we need God, rather than trying to go our own way, that's when we find forgiveness, discover relationship. Now, in chapter 33 in Job, a new friend shows up, and he has a different take on this whole thing. He doesn't go along the religious lines of, you must have done something wrong, so bad things are happening to you. He says, what if God is using this tragedy to draw you to him? And he says something so remarkable, something somehow I've missed all these years. Listen to what he says in chapter 33. For God is greater than any human being, so why are you bringing a charge against him? In other words, why are you blaming God for your suffering? Why say he does not respond to people's complaints? In other words, why accuse God of not answering your prayers? He goes on to say, for God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. God speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. He whispers in their ears in a dream and a vision of the night. Or God might get their attention through pain. Yet if there is an angel at their side, a messenger, one out of a thousand sent to tell them how to be upright. Now listen to this. God does all these things to a person twice, even three times to turn them back from the pit that the light of life may shine on them. Not just this scripture, but over and over, the scriptures tell us that God is pursuing every person on this planet. In this verse in particular, this passage says that every person has two or three either dreams or moments of pain or a messenger, somebody that's come into their life that can point them towards faith. 
See, when things have happened in your life, the miraculous things that have happened, have you just dismissed them? Or have you seen them as examples of God reaching out to you? See, God gives us multiple opportunities to let go of our pride and ask for forgiveness. In our pride, we think we do not need God. In our pride, we think we've done enough good to deserve God's love for us. In our pride, we think we are right and others are wrong. But when we turn to God and ask for forgiveness, ask for help, acknowledge that we need what Jesus did on the cross to count for us, then we find light in life. Have you noticed God pursuing you? It's no accident you're even here hearing this message. Perhaps this was God's doing, moving messengers into your life to invite you to come. Sometimes we dismiss the miraculous and other times God speaks in a much more mundane way. But remember, if you believe, the evidence is all around you, but if you don't believe, no evidence will ever be enough. In the year 2000, I had a chance to go to Damascus, and I have to confess, I was on the road to Damascus, and I was asking God for a miracle. I wanted God to speak to me. I didn't want to go blind. I just wanted something to happen on the road to Damascus, and nothing notable happened. So then, as I left Damascus, I wanted something to happen on the road from Damascus. That would still be pretty cool. And then nothing happened. And so then we ended up flying back from the Middle East to Los Angeles, where I lived at the time. And I was praying for something to happen on the flight from Damascus. And it was in the midst of that, that that still small voice reminded me that God is always speaking to me through the conversations with people, through the scriptures, through an experience much like this in a community of faith. That it doesn't just have to be the blinding light that God is actually speaking all the time that catches we're often not listening. This passage from Job reminds me of later in Saul's life. He's speaking to the people of Athens and he tells them that God has put every single person on this planet at the exact time in history and place on the planet that gives them the best opportunity to find him. See, God loves you and is pursuing you and has been bringing messengers, hoping that you would turn to him in the midst of the pain. And perhaps you've had visions or even dreams of him pointing you towards the life and light he has for you. Now remember, Saul was physically blinded by the light. His brush with greatness caused him to lose his sight. And perhaps Saul began to see this experience as a way that God was trying to teach him something deeper about himself. Paul began, or Saul began to realize that he was blind, perhaps, before he ever lost his physical sight, that he'd been spiritually blind. For three days, he had the opportunity to mull that over. Can you imagine being able to see and suddenly being blind? It was in that time frame. I can only imagine he must have asked, what did I miss? How did I not see this? What have I been intentionally ignoring? He was blind for three days. You have a lot of time to rethink things when you can't see for three days. A few years back, my wife got a migraine headache that caused temporary blindness. Now, she had never had that happen before, and so it was a really scary moment. So she 
uh, where two of us were walking into our house and all of a sudden she couldn't see, completely blind. And so in that moment, she wants me to call 911 and get the kids. And so I bring the kids, they're both teenagers at the time, and I bring them over and she starts to say farewell. She's getting her affairs in order. This is it. This is the big one, like Sanford and Son, right? This is it. (laughs) And then suddenly, in the midst of our tears and saying goodbye to their mom, she could see again. Now, it was only three minutes of blindness and she got everything right with God and us. We get to the hospital, she can see perfectly. They tell us about this, that she had a migraine. It was a miracle. We were so grateful. But if you can imagine what you do in those three minutes to make things right, he had three days to reconsider. So let's pick up the story again where we see that Jesus did not lead Saul to faith. He actually involved a person named Ananias. Look in Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Uh, Lord, Ananias, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, wait, what? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. I want you to consider the courage that Ananias needed to go to Saul, whose reputation for violence had preceded him. See, perhaps you and I need to take from this message. Maybe we're in a great place with God. Maybe you and I need to become more like Ananias, willing to love and take on relationships with people who have a bad reputation, to act on the promptings that you might have. Or maybe you're more like Saul. You need to listen to the people like Ananias who've come into your life as messengers. Now, what's really amazing, yes, he could see physically for the first time in three days, but more miraculous is the spiritual healing that he experienced, the end of his spiritual blindness. He could see. He began a relationship with God through Jesus. He received the spirit of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead living inside of him. Have you found yourself to be spiritually blind, unable to see what God is doing all around you. This could be true if you do not yet know God. This could be true even if you've walked with God for years. This last summer, I was on sabbatical and realized how blind I have been. Too busy, sometimes too busy doing good or too aware of what's happening in the news or with sports. Too distracted to see what God wanted to do. See, God is speaking all the time. The problem is often we are not listening. 
So then Jesus sent Saul to Ananias, not just for this one prayer of physical healing, but so that Saul would have other Christ followers in his life, so that Saul could experience healing in his relationships. See, Saul had a terrible reputation, and I imagine he was a tough person to love. But this early community of faith accepted him and loved him and helped him grow in his faith to the point where he became a leader in the early church, starting other churches. See, God speaks to us one-on-one in the private moments, but God also speaks to us in the context of community. We need both in order to become the person that he's created us to be. But to get there, we need to just simply stop. Stop striving. Stop trying to do good to get God to love you and start realizing how loved you already are. See, religion can be what helps us get to the place where we have a relationship with God. We can build on the faith of our childhood. But religion could also be what keeps us from even knowing God, thinking that it's the good things we do that that God's concerned about. God wants a relationship with you. Stop striving. Know that he loves you just as you are. Rest in knowing His love for you is not based on how hard you work or how religious you are. His love for you already is because he created you on purpose and with a purpose. Consider his love for you. Consider letting go of religion and striving. Instead, rest in knowing you are loved. Consider that as we listen to this song.
Saul discovers that he's worthy, worthy of God's love, worthy of a community's love, in spite of the persecution. In fact, he ends up being persecuted from the same angry offshoot, these Pharisees. And many of the letters that we read now were written while he was in prison for proclaiming to the world that God loves you. You don't need religion, you don't need good works, that you are already loved. And because you are loved, when you ask for forgiveness, he transforms your heart so that you will go out and do good works and bring about the peace and love that only can happen in the context of a relationship with him. See, Jesus healed Saul's heart. Jesus melted away his fear. He went from afraid and angry and violent and to unafraid with an awareness of an eternal perspective in spite of suffering. He wrote these words in 2 Timothy, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He went from proud of his religious devotion to fully surrendered to God through Jesus writing, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I wonder where you're at tonight, 
Perhaps you grew up very religious. In fact, you've considered yourself a Christian your whole life. But have you had an encounter with God? Are you living on the fumes of someone else's faith? You know, the scriptures never refer to God as a heavenly grandfather. There are only children, no grandchildren in his kingdom. Each of us has to decide, perhaps building on the faith of our parents or grandparents, if this faith will become our own. Just by sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car, just like sitting in a church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Or perhaps you feel like you're close to God, but your life doesn't seem to match what you believe. Maybe there are areas in your life where you still think you know better than God does. If that's the case, I want you just to let it go, to surrender. Rather than being trapped in what's dark and destructive, step fully into the light. You cannot experience the fullness of God's light when you stay in the shadows of pride or lust or selfishness. Or maybe you've wandered away in your faith and it's time to get back on the road again. Often God meets us as we're moving forward. And so I want to pray for us. And in the midst of that, I want you to consider perhaps what your next step might be to seek after him, to become who he's created you to be, what you might need to surrender. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you just speak to our hearts even now? Thank you that you are a God who heals our broken heart, a God who created us with intention. You created us on purpose and with a purpose. May we become who you've created us to be by letting go of the distractions, letting go of the apathy, letting go of the skepticism. God, we even pray that you might help us with our unbelief. God, help us to see the things that you've done all around us, the ways you are currently speaking now. Help us not to dismiss these things, but to embrace that you love us. And so God, would you even now just guide us, give us the courage to take our next step to be people who bring faith, love, and hope, and peace to our broken and angry world.